Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Come on, side, side, side. What it do, y'all? It's Ed Lover back with another podcast. Come on, son, the podcast. Now, half a million people or more watch the verses. If y'all don't know what Versus is, then you must not be really on Instagram like that or really paying attention to it. Versus has been taking Instagram live by storm. It's been it was created by Timberland and Swiss Beats. They went beat for beat on Instagram live. I didn't even catch that one. I'm not going to lie. When I first started catching on to I missed T-Pain versus Little John. It's been like just like producers and people that have made all these hit records going against each other on Instagram Live. And since they have a quarantine audience now, we're more likely to, to, to sit back and watch it because there's really nothing else to do, which I would say is a big reason why T-Nice is averaging over 50,000 people every time he DJs on Instagram Live, which is why all these other DJs are DJing on Instagram Live. But this Versus thing has taken on a life of its own. So they've reached out to people who they respect and have asked them to go against each other, 20 records apiece. That just, for me, that just says a lot right there. It means that you you got a lot of records. If you could go 20 records, you have a lot of records. Actually, the verses that I watched with Premier versus RZA, they went over 20 records apiece. That, that's just how many records that they've produced, which people admire and people revere that they have over 20 records apiece. So, it had come to our attention all through the social media universe that Teddy Riley, constructor of the new Jack Swing and incredible producer, was supposed to do a versus versus one of the greatest singers and songwriters and producers of all time, Mr. Kenny Babyface Edmonds. So the first time it was supposed to happen, the day before it was supposed to happen, it got postponed. It got postponed because, unbeknownst to us at the time, Babyface was sick. He had contracted COVID-19. So we had to wait for Babyface to get better. And thank God, by the grace of almighty God, Babyface and his family pulled through, which I'm very happy to hear about. So they they did it. It was last Saturday. Uh, They did it. They had it. And technical difficulties prevented well, I wasn't even going to say technical difficulties. I want to say Teddy 
prevented Teddy's sound from sounding good. Whereas Babyface was in a small studio just playing his songs off of his computer. Teddy was in this large, large, I wouldn't even, I would call it a rehearsal studio with his keyboard set up, um, trying to play music and it sounded like it was coming out of a, a, a closing play. It sounded horrible. Now, the funny thing about that is I was watching the first one from the beginning when Teddy first signed on and his music sounded great. But once Babyface got on, I guess it's a different sound coming against coming across Instagram Live. Like sometimes if I know I'm going to be on somebody's live, I'll set up my camera and I'll look at myself in the camera and the lighting seems fine. But as soon as I get on Instagram Live, it looks different. I have to turn the light on or bring another light in or something like that. So the first time it was absolutely Teddy's fault. We sat there. They started. They both played songs. It sounded like shit. We were all commenting, hey, fix your sound, fix your sound, fix your sound. I don't know why he wasn't paying attention to it. But, and then finally he tried to fix the sound. They couldn't get it right. He had all of these electronic technicians and studio technicians in there, and they still could not get the sound right. He tried to blame it on Babyface. Babyface like, it ain't me, bro. It's That's coming from your side. Oh, take your headphones out, Babyface. No, it wasn't Babyface. It was Teddy Riley. To make a long story short, Teddy... Tried to do too much. He looked dumb. It sounded like shit. He had, every time he played a song, Breon Prescott would be behind him. Breon's an industry vet. He'd been around for a long time. He used to work with Jamie Foxx and a host of others. What he has to do with Teddy Riley, I have no idea. But he was dancing around like Flavor Flav, like Bobo the Fool, every time Teddy dropped the joint. But you couldn't feel the impact of the joint because the sound wasn't right. So after about two and a half hours of letting us all down that night, they stopped it and decided to reschedule it till Monday night, which was last night. Yeah, because you should be getting this podcast on the Tuesday. So it was last night. And for me, this is me, my personal opinion. So if I say me, then it's personal. I don't say me personally, because if you say me, it's already personal. It was a bit anticlimactic, although there were gems in there. Okay. Because we had waited and anticipated for so long for this to happen. And when it finally happened, it just didn't live up to the hype for me. The music did. And if you're a big time music fan and everybody that was in the room last night paying attention to it, I couldn't get it on my personal phone. It kept freezing. So I was on my wife's iPad. It was I was like, okay, I I know what you guys are going to play because you played it before. It just wasn't enough interesting banter, even though there was some gems in there. Like Babyface gave us most of the gems. Um, it just wasn't enough interesting banter to me between them. Like Babyface was telling us about how he wrote Can We Talk when he was in high school, about this girl that he was in love with, how Whip Appeal came about, um, you know, just from him being in a car with Pebbles and Sherelle. R&B singers Pebbles and Sherelle, both of them in their own right, had hits with Babyface in their own right. And them talking about you got to have that whip to keep a man. Um, him telling the story about how Michael Jackson called him to try to get at Halle Berry, which I thought was hilarious. I don't even see that. You know, Halle Berry and D-Nice, that's a whole nother conversation. But he just gave... It wasn't enough on Teddy's part to me. Teddy was just really trying to battle, and I don't think people realize 
it ain't about the battling. It's just about the music. Like, we just brought you guys on here to say verses so you guys can go back and forth. Let the audience decide who they think is better. And tell, well, I'm going to hit you with this right now. Like, bro, it wasn't about that. Like, you Teddy Riley, you ain't got to prove nothing to nobody. And I, we appreciate the fact that you guys did verses. We appreciate the fact that we got to see it free. We honored that we got to see that free. We got to see the Rizzo and Premier free. We got to see Swiss Beats and Timberland free. Little John and T-Pain free. You know, and now the conversation is all about who we like to see next. But I thought Teddy could have been more open, more open with the way he produced stuff. Even Babyface asked him about working with Michael Jackson, and he was kind of, he was quieter with Babyface than he was when I interviewed him. So I want to share this interview one more time with y'all, with the great Teddy Riley. And he goes into a lot more details than he did on verses. I don't know if it was that he was talking to me and he's not in awe of me the way he is in awe of Babyface, whether Babyface had him stumbling on his words. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he wasn't feeling well. You know, you can't expect everybody to be on all the time. But I just thought that Teddy, being who Teddy is, a fantastic and amazing producer in his own right that has worked with so many people that he could have been more open, not only towards Babyface, but to the audience. And tell me that the Johnny Kemp record was written by Keith Sweat, and Keith Sweat was supposed to record Just Got Paid. But how y'all got that record to Johnny Kemp? Why Johnny Kemp ended up with that record? What was it like putting Black Street together after Guy? What was it like getting Guy together when you guys did Groove Me? Whose idea was Teddy Jam? And all that's the stuff that we really want to know we we want to hear your music but we want all of those little insider stories that we don't get stuff that you know and he really opened up to me in this interview and this was an interview that i did when i was on the radio in atlanta about two and a half years ago um this versus thing is huge I don't even think Timberland and Swiss Beats got anything to do with it, but there's one on Friday at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time with Jermaine Dupree and Dallas Austin called I Wrote That Song. I, I, I don't know if it's a battle. Or just, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just a, it's a spinoff of verses. People are all talking about who they want to see. Um, you know, who would they like to see? You know, uh, Kanye West versus Dr. Dre, Pharrell versus Dr. Dre. I think people just want to see Dr. Dre. Puff Daddy versus Dr. Dre. Now, if you co-produce a lot, does that give you the credit? Easy Mo B, Molly Mall. I mean, these verses is just taking on a life of their own, of, of its own. And I'm really enjoying it. But I want y'all to hear now Teddy Riley really opening up in a discussion about his music, his life, and everything else. And I know I, I've played this interview before, but Teddy Riley is so very topical right now because of the verses I decided I'll put it up again for everybody who never heard my conversation with the incredibly talented, talented writer, musician, producer, and man, Teddy Riley. So come on, son.
Enjoy this replay of Teddy Riley on Come On, Son, the podcast. Come on, son, son, son. What up, y'all? This is Ed Love. It's time for Come On, Son, the podcast. Listen, man, I have Mr. Teddy Riley in the building with me. Sit back and relax. This is going to take a while, all right? It's the Come On, Son podcast with Teddy Riley. What can we say about this brother I'm, I'm getting ready to introduce to you? He is responsible for so much great music over a vast period of time and continues to do his thing. Mr. Teddy Riley is in the building with us, man. Yeah! My brother, yeah. T.D., what's up, hey. my brother? What's good, what's good with you? What's happening, Mo? You got a few questions for Teddy, right? Well, um, first of all, it's good to see you again. It's great to see you. Last, Last time, time I was hanging out in his... First of all, the, the, the rooms that we get on the cruise, right. nothing compared to what Teddy gets. Okay? <laughs> okay. But there's a reason why, because Teddy is like the musical orchestrator of the shows, like when he's on the, the, the cruise. Right. Um, and uh, Rage and myself, because you know I always run with my sisters, right, and Teddy right. can attest to that. Yep, yep. So we were in his room the last time I saw you, and we were going through the show. The show. Yeah. Was, I was creating, creating the show in my Okay, in my yeah. Room. For the you know sisters I mean? I in hip hop, studio right. everywhere. So, um, since seeing you, it's good to see you again. Likewise, likewise. Um, how's the tour going? It's going wonderful. It is going actually absolutely wonderful because um, I get to switch now. I'll take off my black street shoes, put on a guy's shoes. Got it. Take off the guy's shoes, put on black street shoes, or put on the Teddy Riley and Friends. Right. Which is what we have. Um, we have a lot of shows coming up for Teddy Riley and Friends. Now, that a lot can of shows go coming anywhere. up for Guy. But now it's like I'm loving the guys, you know. Uh huh. You know, sometimes you want to just say, "I, I just want to stick with guy for a minute." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but mostly, you know, people are calling for the Teddy Riley and Friends because they get everything. Oh wow! They get guy, Black Street, Rex and Effect, the entire Como experience, D, Big Bub. So we today. Are... Oh, oh wow. my gosh! Oh, it's next week, man. I wish you had just that Sunday off. Wow! Just to even come out and see it. Uh -huh. Every plan in the hood is 6,000 people. Oh, wow. And um, this will be the first time Vegas see Teddy Riley and Friends. Oh, my God. That's so awesome. That's amazing. Are you, you doing a residency there? Um, no, not yet. I don't want to do a residency until um, maybe after my book and uh, one of the films. Okay. Yeah. Well, what do you mean, one of the films? How many films are in the works? Well, we have um, a few. We have... Uh, New Jack Swing, Remember the Time. Okay. And then we have Rooftop. Okay. Remember that. Yeah. So we have Rooftop with Gus. Okay. Lucy B and uh, everybody that, that's been to the Rooftop. Right. And then um, we have, uh, we, we're now in the works of really putting back together New Jack City, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. What, what would that, how would that happen? I have to tell He's you. Not yeah, gonna tell you. Can't tell He's me. not going to tell, tell you the story. Okay. I mean, because well, this well, is. my dude, you've been doing this producing records since you were how old? Since I was uh, 14. 14. How yes, did sir. you get into producing? What's your musical background? Were you a piano well, player, a drummer? Or... I started at everything early. At three years old, I started guitar, playing guitar, and I realized that wasn't my instrument. Then I tried trumpet and then went from one instrument and then ended up on piano. You know, because that was one thing I, I can pretty much get. And not even thinking future that, mm -hmm. you know, the keyboard would be the instrument that controls the computer and you can get everything done with a keyboard. Right. So me knowing that that's what I wanted to do, end up doing this. And 
programming and doing all the stuff I'm doing and then becoming a traditional producer. Right. You know, which is a difference between a producer that just need they need a drum machine, they need a computer. I don't. So the, <laughs> that's what um I started out with uh being in the studio with Cool in the Gang. Okay. From Remember Royal Band? Yeah. And the Band family. That's right. who took me around. That's my mentor. So it's Royal, Amir, Adele Band, uh, Cool, and Khalees. They brought me in the studio while they were recording Ladies Night. Oh, wow. A celebration. And I was there, and um, I was the tea boy, you know, going to get the tea. At the same time, seeing you at the Apollo. Right. And seeing, you know, and then messing around with on my channel, God bless him, it's my brother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, who actually sung Joy and Pain, and I happened to get on that record. Right. With Rob Bass. So I started back in the projects producing everybody and their mothers just from watching Patrick Adams and M2 May and wow. Al Rogers and Kashif. We were in the same building. Oh, Kashif. man. So those were my mentors, and those are the people that I followed and uh, always wanted to do what they did. Yep. How did you meet Dougie Fresh, and how did you do the show? How did that come about? Um, that record got to be almost 40 years old, and it's still a smash. A mutual friend of ours, LaVeba Mallison. Okay. We actually used to see each other, because I went to IS-195, and LaVeba went to, I think, um, 36, 136. And we uh, used to just cross, cross paths. And he never knew what I did. I never knew what he did, but... He was that cat that knew all of like the goons and you know the people and it's like yo look out for that kid right there. So I was always the cat that he always said look out for. And then my, finally, you know, he introduced me to Dougie. We happened to go to the same high school. But how I knew about Dougie was we all used to go to Harlem World. Okay. The real Harlem World, right? One hundred Sixteenth Street, Lenox Avenue. And um, when we went to Harlem World, we would see. Dougie, Larry Love. I was there when Busy B was battling Kumo D. Wow. You know, I was actually there. Okay. Um, and uh, who else? Crash Crew, Disco 4, Funky 4 plus one more. and all. Rest in peace, Greg Marius, man. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, man, that was my partner. We had Rooftop Records together. Yeah. With Gusto. And we put out Kumo D. So just being around all of that and being in the parks and pulling out my... Casio or pulling out my Curacao and doing some crazy stuff with the beatbox, I became that little music music kid from Harlem. Right. And you and Doug came to your house and y'all did the show? He came, he came to no. We actually met at the school, you know, just by LaVeba telling him, yo, you know Teddy go to your school. He's like, who's Teddy? He's like, yo, that's the producer who be producing everybody. And then uh, he told me the same thing, and we wound up meeting at the school, and then we said, yo, come to my house. I told him to come to my house, and then we, uh, he played this record for me on a cassette. And when he played the record, I said, um, he asked me, what, what, what should I do with this? And I said, man, you got too many commercials. You got to now, if you're going to have those commercials, you're going to have to put something to keep the people going while they're dancing, you know? There's no way if you're going to stop a commercial, people are going to stop on the dance floor. So he said, so what you would do? I said, I would do something like this. And I had, I had my um, DX, the Oberheim DX. And you know how you can screw off the thing and open it up? Mm -hmm. I tuned down the shaker and I tuned down the uh, TomTom. The, uh, -tom. And when I tuned down the TomTom, -tom, it's like... 
So it had that low bass, but it wasn't an 808 sound. So what I did was I muffed the, the, the actual point on that and made it sound like a bass drum. Right. And then I did the shaker. Shh, 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 shh. That's what kept the people dancing while they're doing the commercial. Wow. So that's how I became a part of that record. Right. But I didn't know anything about credits or anything. Did you put the dan da dan da dan Yes, sir. Wow. Yes, sir. You put but the Inspector Gadget on top of it. What was on my mind was I just wanted to be on, and however I can get on, I got on. Right. Without even thinking about credits, like, you know, on Rob Bass or anybody. I just did it, you know, until uh, Greg and Gusto, they were the ones who said, yo, we got to get your name on these records. Right. <laughs> so what was like, the first record that was a hit that your name was attached to? Um, Rap's New Generation. Okay. Yeah. And then um, later on, Mary J. Blige sampled it, and I ain't know nothing about, you know, you know, going after people, which I never went after people for samples and using my voice like Vanessa Williams on on uh, Right Stuff. And uh-huh. I never, you know, I, it was a compliment to me. Wow. It was a compliment. You got, man, when did, when did Guy come along? After I, Keith Sweat, right? After Keith Sweat. I was actually mixing Keith Sweat's album. Okay. Um, and we were at Power Play. Remember Power Play? Yeah, of course I remember Power Play. We were at Power Play, and uh, Timmy brought um, Aaron to the studio. And I can remember when Aaron got to the studio, and I said, man, I, I'm not, you know, my mindset was, y'all want me to produce something? I'm good with that. By the time it was all over, the meeting was over, Aaron was like, yo, I don't think I want I want to be solo. If he's not in the group, I'm, I'm going solo. So I said, I didn't really think about being in a group, but I always thought about what Gene said to me. If you want to be visually seen, you want people to know who you are, you need to, you know, do something. You got to do something other than produce. Right. So he made me join uh, a band that I had before, which was Kids at Work. Right. He made me join that. So I thought about that, and I said, man, my mindset was I didn't want to be back in a group. I wanted to be in behind the scenes and just make everybody's music. And um, because of singing Hey Yeah, you remember the singing Hey Yeah record, yeah. which later on became Don't You Know, uh-huh. the Heavy D. Right. Um, the record didn't do well because it was around the same time as Candy Girls. So <laughs> Candy Girls just stomped that record out. <laughs> like, so when it when that happened, I said, man, that's a failure. So that I stopped doing R&B. And I just did rap records. I did Spoonie G. I did B-Fats and all these records. And then everybody's You did like, the yeah. WAP? Yeah, I did the WAP. Wow! And um, and uh, when when I started doing those records, that's when Keith came around the block. And he's like, yo, I hear you rocking these, you know, these records out here, man. I'm going to need, need you to do something on my record. I said, man, um, I ain't trying to do no R&B, man. Because I'm thinking about, you know, failure. Right, failure, when kids at work. It, Singing Hey Yeah with kids at work, I was like, yo, I'm not trying to do no R&B. He said, man, just try them, them chords that you play like when you was playing with the band, Total Climax. Right. I said, all right, I'm going to try something, but if it doesn't work, man, I'm not going to do it. So I went in. The first track I did was I Wanna. Wow. The very first track. And I just wanted something that was just unorthodox and different and one hand is doing something and the other hand is doing this. So it's boom, boom. 
So it became a rhythm thing with the keys and the actual chords and everything. And I said, man, this could be something. So I'm feeling good, like rocking in my projects, you know, on the first floor. You remember? Yeah. First floor apartment. I'm rocking and I'm just like, yo, this could work. So when he came to the house, because he called me two days, he said, I'm going to call you in two days. You know, we ain't had no cell phones. Call <laughs> <laughs> the house, 662, you know? Uh, so he called my house. I said, man, I think I got something. He said, I'm going to be there in a few minutes as soon as I get off work because Keith worked at Wall Street. Yeah. So he said, as soon as I get off work, I'm going to be there. Check it out. And he came in and he listened to it. He was like, yo, this is incredible. This is this is it. This is hot. This is dope. I was like, all right, what you going to do to it? He's like, ah, oh, shoot. I'm going to do this. And you just kept doing that. And then we came up with scene last night. Then I said, right, take it. I made a cassette for him. He took it. He started writing to it. Meanwhile, I'm doing the chorus. I put the chorus down when he left, and I, I wanna. That's all. And that became that record. Wow. And how much of Keith Sweat's first album did you do? The majority. The majority of it? Yeah. I was pretty much like with him, the overseer, the young ears in right. the room. Everybody was older. You know, we had Shua, Raheem from GQ mm-hmm. and, and the guitar players. Everybody, you know, Raheem played on the, rec- played on the record. Fred McFarlane played on the record, Don't mm-hmm. Stop the Love. And, right. And um, that was the thing, man. Uh, everybody was the whole collaborative thing. And um, But, you know, I wanted was like the the record and then Make It Last Forever and right. Deep Is Your Love. And, Something Just Ain't Right. Yeah, all those records I did. Yeah. Bam, boom, and the thing boom. about it, truthfully speaking, I couldn't do that all in one key. I was doing it with two hands because my hands was, I was young. I, was, I had little hands. Right. I didn't have big piano hands. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. <laughs> All right, now on the first Guy album, Damien's not on the album cover. Yeah, he's not. Um, and the reason why, because, you know, this was really Tim's group. Okay. Know, he put this together. And um, truth be told, between him, Aaron, and, and myself, we had a chemistry. But I think with that chemistry, you know, Gene didn't really like like the closeness, even though he wanted us to be close, but he didn't want us to be close to where we side against him. <laughs> oh, so okay. he had to get somebody, you know, and him and Timmy had words. And when they had words, Timmy was like, you know, I'm, I'm done. In the middle of singing, you can call me crazy. Really? We talking about so Gene Griffin, ladies and gentlemen. Now, now I, I have to let the truth be told. It's many years later, and a lot of people didn't, you know, don't know that the second verse is "I'll be sure." Get out of here, yo! Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm the one thing in my years now. Uh-huh. You know, people's got to know everything because this is our legacy. Yes, and this is a this is a genre of music that we created. Yes, you know because. As you know, I'm I'm always a team player. I've been in groups, I never went solo. Right. That's only because I'm a, a team player. So there's never an I and we for me. Right. You know, I'm I'm always gonna say it's us, you know, because as black people I I stand for 
my people. So I say we made this genre. We created something that, you know, not anybody could say they created. You right. know, I, no producer out there could say they created a genre. Yeah, New Jack Swing is a genre. And um, absolutely, it became something that you couldn't even get a deal unless you did. New Jack you ain't Swing. lying. You ain't lying. So that's not only you know Babyface in L.A., Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. We all just you know, separately collaborated on building this genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like we need to, you know, since they took R&B from us, <laughs> we need to put that in there, you know. Yeah. I don't take the full responsibility because we were all, like, peers on the same records. Were you surprised you know? at how well uh, Guy took off? Very. No, but wait a minute. Let me tell you our first show. We got booed. Get out of here. We was out in Newark, right? Uh-huh. And uh, we were just being guests of uh, Johnny Kemp. God uh-huh. bless him as well. Um, this is after uh, this Just Got Paid was out? After Just Got Paid okay. came out. Which remember, Teddy Riley Just produced. Got Paid was supposed to have been on Keith Sweat's album, but it was too late. What? Yeah, it was too late because this, the album was mastered, mixed and mastered. Because that me and Keith created that in the house. Right. And You we still like, living in the project? Huh? You still I was still in living pro- in the projects. Sure, I wasn't trying to leave the project <laughs> until I knew, you know, right. time to leave. We got a little money, but we still kept the projects even when my father was there on um, 97. Oh, wow. Yeah, we still kept that partner. Oh, wow. So he lived there because, you know, him and my mom wasn't together. She yeah. wanted him to live in the big house. <laughs> he was like, all right, until six months before he passed, I got him and my mom to get back Oh, together. that's nice. But, um, um, where were we at? We was with we were talking uh, about Johnny Kemp. Oh, Johnny Kemp. When so y'all first Johnny got Kemp when God just first got paid. Was supposed to have been Keith Sweats, and then oh, um, my prerogative was supposed to have been guys, but it was too late. We always did all these records and finished. I finished records in like two a month, two months, right? And it's ready to come out. So um, when that happened, we took uh, just got paid. Gave it to Johnny Kemp because he came, you know, he wanted, he needed one record. So right. he was like, all right, this is our boy. Because, you know, Keith was in the group Jamila. Uh, Johnny Kemp was in the group Kinky Fox. Okay. And I was in the group Total Climax. Right. And we were rivalry bands. So we knew, you know, Johnny from way, way back. Right. You know, when, when I first started, 15, 16 years old, playing with a band. So we gave it to him because he's our boy. And we gave... Bobby Brown, my prerogative. And that was a guy record. Yeah, it was supposed to be. So you got vocals of who's singing lead on my prerogative? Nobody. I just did the music. Okay. And uh, when I did the music, Aaron wrote the vocals, the lyrics. Okay. And a lot of people don't know that either. But, you know, it was it's a whole lot, man. You'll it, see it sure in is. the film about what happened with my prerogative, because if you notice, my name is not on my prerogative. We have just scratched the surface. I've yet to talk about today. I've never, I ain't talking about Rex and Effect yet. Mm. I'm still a guy, and, and and we ain't even delve into Bobby Brown as much as we could. Why isn't your name on my prerogative? Well, when I got with um, Gene. Gene Griffin's lady. Gene Griffin. Um, GR Productions. my godfather. Um, when I got with him, we were trying to dip and dodge, you know, uh, publishing, publishing company and all of this stuff. You know, and he 
he was putting it under his name so he could clear up my deal with Samba. Okay. And I didn't know. It was just, it wasn't supposed to happen that way. And when it happened that way, I didn't even know because I was in the studio and so blind to the fact, you know, that I was dug into, you know, producing, didn't think about the business or where my name, what my, why my name is not on this. And, you know, even at some point, um, the first 100,000 records of uh, Keith Sweat, I wasn't on that, neither. And um, and then Gene was, you know, at some point he was trying to put his name on that record, and Keith was like, nah, that ain't happening. We put Teddy's name on that record. Right. And that's how my name got on the record afterwards. Because um, I didn't know nothing about getting credits and all of that stuff. So when... um. Or well, apparently too much about publishing either. Yeah. I mean, You're I didn't. just the music But guy. check this out. I didn't get it. I got my first publishing deal when I was working on Kumo D, and we signed them to um, Jive Records. Okay. And actually, Clive Calder was the one who actually seen that I was the one doing all the music. Because when he came in the room and everybody was gone, I was making How You Like Me Now on the spot. Right. And he called me LaVeva. Because he thought LaVeva was the one making all the beats. Right. So I said, no, my name is Teddy. He said, Teddy who? I said, Teddy Rowley. He said, where are you from? I'm, I'm from New York. He said, so you making this beat? I said, no, I make all the beats. <laughs> he's like, um, he's like, so do we have a deal with you? I was like, I don't know. Um, you probably have to talk to LaVeva about that. Oh, wow. And then they call, he called the whole staff and Kali and all of them. He called them in the office and he said, somebody's getting fired if we don't have this guy on our team. Wow. And uh, so, around was, the, so around the God time and the, and the Bobby Brown, God. right, just before that, yeah. around the Bobby Brown time, you were still in your deal with Zamba, with Zamba. and Gene was trying to circumvent all of that. That's why your yeah. name is not on That's right. my prerogative and all of that stuff. That is right. Okay, and who came to you for Bobby? Um, Louis Salas. Really? Louis Salas and 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 uh, I think uh, Andre Harrell gave Louis Salas my number, and he called me straight. He's because like, you had worked with Heavy D before. Yeah, Heavy. I worked with Heavy, Finesse and Sequence, The Girls. Right. And um. When I was doing all that stuff, this is all. This, this is, is all uptown. Uh, this is uptown all uptown stuff. This everything. Is, yeah, this is all we got our own thing. This yes. is all of that great heavy D music that you've done for him. Yes, sir. Yeah, and then uh, so this all all this stuff is pre guy. This is pre guy. And like, then got they... Andre Harrell used to come uptown. This is how uptown came really came about because Andre didn't have his deal yet. Uh -huh. He had came uptown to figure out how we can finagle putting this thing together. Greg G, Andre Harrell, Gusto, and me. Well, Andre Harrell wanted me just to be the producer and not be a part of the partnership. Okay. Gusto said, nah, we ain't doing it that way. Greg G was like, nah, this is our, this is our partner, man. We can't do it this way. So Andre Harrell went and got uptown himself. Okay, so Uptown was supposed to be all y'all together. <laughs> it was supposed to be all of us Wow, together. man. But he still finagled getting me from them just to be the producer because, yeah, I had to feed my family. Right. It's just my mom, single parent. Right. So um, when that happened, 
I wound up going down to Chungking, uh-huh. to Chungking, and cutting those records with Heavy, and then did uh, Night and Day with uh, I'll Be Sure, and then we started doing Ooh This Love, and then everything, Andre's like, yo, let's keep him down here. Right. So I wound up staying down there, and prior to that, you know, this is how God works. Prior to that, um, we had an altercation at the rooftop where, you know, we had guns to our heads and everything because uh-huh. they were jealous of Gusto, you know, leaving the drug business and right. going into the roller skating business and all of that. So they were trying to get him. And when that happened, um, when that happened, that just stirred me up. I saw my life was going to be me and Timmy. Timmy got hit in the head with a fifty caliber. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And when all of that happened, we was we were shook. So when Andre was like, come on, come with me, I was gone. What were they paying you like back then, Teddy? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> it's uh for the whole guy uh Keith album, I probably made about two grand. Two thousand dollars on Keith Sweat's entire first album? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to be on the album. And you know, anytime I needed Money, Keith would just give me money. What about Andre Harrell and all the heavy D stuff? Now, for that, Gene actually finagled the funds and he, <laughs> as, you know, as only Gene he, Griffin could do. He, he would, you know, give us money here and there. Right. But we didn't have like, you know, salaries or big money to get houses because I was still in the projects. Right. Until Gene was like, all right, we partners, bro. And, I kind of went into the partner mode. So, all right, we partners. When am I moving? He's like, all right, we're going to move up to Riverdale. Right. Remember with Kumo D's? Yeah. And we moved up to Riverdale. I'm thinking, yo, I'm in a condo, and Heavy D comes to my house, and we're doing Now That We Found Love. And, uh, no, we got our own thing. Right. I wound up taking that song from Rex and Effect, you know, and... and uh. That was a Rex and Effect minute, song. Wait a minute. We got our own thing was supposed to be for Rex and Effect? All them songs were supposed to have been for Rex and Effect, but I wound up taking them and giving them to Heavy because I felt like Heavy, you know, was a bigger artist. You know, he was the overweight lover. The right. first overweight lover to come out. Right. And, and no so Heavy, I, I keep telling records. people there's no Heavy D, there's no Big Pun, there's no That's Biggie. Right. There's none of them without Heavy D's success because the Fat Boys were big, but the Fat Boys were seen mostly as a novelty act. Right. Nothing against them, but that's what they were seen at with the twist and all that. Heavy D was the first big, cool dude. That's right. That ever came out that made it cool to be a big and dude. And made it cool for big dudes to dance. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of people, that's so why wait a minute, you I had Rex and Effect in mind before Heavy D? Because I had made these records for them. I made New Jack Swing. If Heavy would have came around New Jack Swing, he would have had that. Wow. But I had to keep something for my brothers because I made them stay off the streets. Right. You know, because they were hustling. And I said, nah, y'all going to get a pen and a paper, and y'all going to write some raps and put down some poems. I don't care. And put them in rhythm. Y'all got y'all going to have to do this. So I made them get off the streets because, my, you know, my brother who got killed, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were, you know. They were real street dudes. Yeah. I see D making trouble with everybody. And so we moved down to Virginia. Of course, we, we had trouble everywhere. <laughs> but the thing about it was I, I got to do what God blessed me to do was get them off the streets. Right. You know what I'm saying? And you remember when Teddy Blinn and all those guys used yeah. to come to my door. 
you know, will vote no diggity. Yeah, absolutely. So all of these things, you know, how we cross paths is the same way. We, everybody, everybody, everybody was crossing paths. Yeah, everybody. Like so I did everybody and their mothers. I was the little music kid. When I seen my, my life before me, the dudes with the guns was like, yo, don't mess with that little music nigga. Right. So when when he said that, I was like, wow, maybe I'm going to live. But I can't see my guys, you know, getting killed. Like Timmy was there. Greg G, we all on the floor like this. Right. So that that there in a whole just gave me a whole new perspective on life, you know, and that's what made me go up and work with Andre and started doing all these crazy records and and um that's the story of my my Harlem life making records for everybody and their mother. Yeah, you certainly did. Teddy Riley in the building with us right here on the Ed Lover Show with Moni Love. More with Teddy coming up. Teddy Riley in the building with us on the Ed Lover Show with Moni Love. So Bobby Brown had broken away from New Edition. Mm -hmm. We saw the New Edition story. We need to see the Teddy Riley story the exact same way. Um, and then Lou Silas comes to you about Bobby Brown. Yes, sir. Bobby had already had an album out, right? Yeah, he had the... Uh... Was it King of Stage? King of Stage, yeah. King of Stage. Yep. But you got Bobby. It took Bobby to another level. Tell me your thoughts on Bobby when you first said, when they first said, okay, I need you to produce Bobby Brown. Um, I just said that. You know, I'm always like, I was like Mike Tyson. You know, I'll fight anybody. <laughs> right. And I said, I'll work with anybody. Like, I went to go work with uh, Boy George. Uh -huh. We'll get to that story. But Bobby, when he came in the projects, you know, it was around the same time. You still in the projects? Yeah. Well, I'm not taking you out of the projects no, around the Bobby man. Brown time. I, you know what? Let me tell you why I was still in the projects. Because my mother kept saying, we're not moving out of these projects. These projects until we make enough money to move. Okay. And like back then, I only my first publishing deal was like maybe $20,000. Okay. So that wasn't enough. I said, Mom, we moving. She said, no, we not. We're going to save this money right here. We're going to pay this bill and keep this going for a minute right. until you make something big. All right, so get back to Bobby coming to the project. All right, let's go there. Bobby came in the projects the same time Lil Silas called my house. We didn't have the cell phones. Right. So he called my house, and Bobby came through the projects looking for me. If I was a criminal, I'd be in jail because the whole project's led him to my door. Right. And um, when he came in, we had already had my prerogative, the hook. We had that done. Uh-huh. With the record, everything, the track done. So when he came in, I said, man, we got something for you. And we played that record. And all he heard was, everybody talking, all this, and that whole hook. And then we played the record. <laughs> It was it. He's like, this is crazy. I, I got to have this. And then our mindset was that we can't get it on the album. We might as well give it to him. That was a guy record. That was supposed to be a guy record. Wow. And Bobby did what? What, 10 million, 11 million? Shoot, about that much. About 11 million yeah. on, on, the, on the first run. On, on uh, well, like I said, I don't take the full credit. You know, Babyface and LA. That's it, yeah. They shoot, laced they, them. They were the big brothers. Yes. You know, I just came in with my two cents, which was my prerogative. And um, was it I'll Be Good To You? No. What was it? Is it I'll Be Good To You? Well, I did a second song. Right. Um, and those two records, you know, 
being on that album was a part of an incredible bed of art. And, and, and I don't take that. Those guys, man, with uh, Don't Be Cruel. Right. Those, those are incredible songs, not just records. They're songs. Yeah, that... yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm not, if they were sitting here, I would bow down to them too. But it was, it, it was, it was. Don't Be Cruel, great. But it sounded like them. My prerogative put Bobby in a different space with sure everybody's did. hat. It, it, From it the sure video did. to, yo, Teddy, kick it like this. It was what Bobby needed to say at that time. Let me tell you Because something. of Break With New Edition and all the rumors about what he was like. Don't Be Cruel was cool. It was polished. The video with the, with the 550s or whatever he yeah, had yeah, with the yeah, girl yeah. was cool. But that my prerogative, bruh, took Bobby from, okay, that's, that's, that's a cool song to, oh, shit. That's what it took right, me to. Right, 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 right. Man, I get that all the time. You know, my prerogative was one of the records that I feel is responsible for me being known as a producer. Yeah. And um, just because of the style alone. I didn't copy. I didn't do anything that was an influence of anything. I just knew I loved the funk. Uh-huh. Just like you. Yes, yes, sir. And... um. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do with that, and and I gave my rendition of it. You know, I wasn't really a like a a stone cold funketeer, but I knew that I knew that style. Uh-huh. You know, just from me being a, a person that study and study music, like the like George Clinton, it's like on steroids. That's that's, that's... <laughs> right now. We talk about Bobby Brown coming to the projects. I can't even believe he was still in the projects when he made my prerogative. That's blowing my mind right now from the fact that that was supposed to be a guy record. Where in the hell did you find today? Today? Um, my man Big Bub and Lada and all them from Jersey, from Inglewood. Big Bub, Lee Drakeford. Yes, sir. Is my brother, you know, and one that um, he came. It was him, and it was another. It was like the guys, but one of the guys was replaced. Um, I forgot his name, but Lee was one of the guys that came and worked with us on Guy and worked with us on everything. And and then um, I basically, you know, he's that's my boy. I'm gonna right. put on everybody. If he bought he bought Redhead Kingpin, you know, because right. they were all from Jersey. Yes, sir. It's like, man, I know this kid Redhead Kingpin, man. He fat. So I said, bring him on. We're hey, gonna do put the him right on. thing. Yeah. Yes, so sir. When we uh, when. Bub came down, it was just him, and then he bought the group, and then it was like how Boys the Men came to, you know, to Mike Bivens. Mike Bivens, you know, I you gave him the group. On. You gave him the name today. Actually, I think Gene did. Okay, I think Gene did because uh, we wanted like the one name groups, you know, uh-huh. like Guy, today, and I wound up saying Rex and Effect because it was three guys. It was actually four. Okay, but, um, and then. I said, man, four guys, we can't call them one name. We have to call them something like, you know, Funky Four plus one more. <laughs> you know so we were so used to like, all right, groups, rap groups need to get more than one name. A, uh, a singing group, one name. Right. Like TLC. Right, today. Yeah. Where did Rump Shaker come from, bro? Rump Shaker actually came from, um, shoot, my guys in Jersey. Um, David Wynn. And the guy who actually wrote my first rap for Rump Shaker, and when he wrote it, I wasn't satisfied with it. 
but that all I want to do is zoom, 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 zoom was in my rap. Okay. So I snatched that out. And do you remember the uh, Dundada record? Yes. With, uh, I need another cat, super cat. Yeah. Dundada. Do you know that was the same track, right? Is it? Yes. Boom, boom, out. Boom, boom, out. Boom, boom. I'm the super cat. Yeah. I'm the super cat. No, I said, oh, now he's a super I'm cat. The... No, you talk about Kenny Dope. Now he's a super cat. Mine, you were done. Da, da. Yeah, 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 yeah. I da, thought it was a super uh, cat uh, record. Uh, oh, boom. Yes. Yes. I took that joint. I said, <laughs> I said, I'm jacking right now. This is Jack City. I yeah. took that record. I said, this is it. Because we had, we had like eight or nine versions of Rex and the, I mean, Rum Shaker. Right. And I said, man, this is, this is not it. I wasn't happy with it until I did that. I heard that in the hotel. I said, I'm going to steal this. <laughs> and nobody know nothing. I'm like Ed Sermon. You know, right. Ed Sermon, you know, yeah. you'll never know what sample he took yeah. unless he played for right. you. Right, you dressed it up so much yeah, it didn't just, even sound yo, the same. Oh, my that's God. That's what I did, and that's how we got Rum Shaker, and then Pharrell came in and just that's laced my rap. He wrote my did. stuff over. I said, I don't like this rap. See what you could do with it. Take it and change it. He took it. He's like, Giggity, it's Teddy. Ready with For the real rock? wrote that? Yeah. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I got the master with him saying it for me. He put it down Giggity on the track. Giggity, it's Teddy. Ready, Ready with, with the, the one, two. That's, that's for real. You don't hear that? Wow. Look, look. Mouth blown. Look, mind gone. How many prolific producers now worked with you and under you in Virginia? Uh, Pharrell, Rodney Jerkins, Timberland, um, Rodwalla, um, wow, See, Will, how, Will you, Stewart. Mm. Do you see how much this man is responsible for right Bink, here, man? Bink Dog. Bink Dog? Who else? The uh, culture is amazing. Chad. Yeah. Um... Ooh, Mike Phillips. Jesus. So Christ. many people been down. And uh Lauren. Um Dawson. Who else? There's a lot of people that came down that worked for me through Royal Band, like Troy Taylor and all of everybody we connected. And um I always say before me there you didn't know who a producer was. That's true. Yep, yep. Teddy and Riley I, in the building I, with us, man. And it wasn't my my choice because Johnny Kemp wanted to say, Teddy, you play. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody wanted to say my name. It was like, I say it then. Right. <laughs> you know, and I couldn't deny it. You know, like, I wasn't, I'm not the cause of Teddy Jam being made. It's Aaron. Aaron did that? Aaron's like, yo, you need to do a record with your name. I never brought up, like, put my name on because, mind you, I always want to be behind the scenes. There's so much stuff we didn't so. touch yet. More with Teddy Riley coming up on the Ed Lover Show with Moni Love. I mean, there is so much. It's the Ed Lover Show with Moni Love, man. I got Teddy Riley in the house. My mind is just absolutely blown right now. When did Guy end and Black Street begin? When my best friend got killed, uh, Anthony B. Okay. Remember when the uh, yeah. the new edition got yes, yes. altercation when, you know, a lot of people don't know that it wasn't really the principals. 
It wasn't New Edition and Guy and they fight. It was the back line. It was the, the road crew. They all had a thing with uh, setting up on the stage and when all that stuff happened, that's you'll see it in the film. Okay. But when all this stuff happened, you know, we still remained friends. Mm-hmm. And because it didn't have anything to do with us. It was like a whole like power struggle from the top, mm-hmm. not us. You know, we were the artists and that's all we thought about was being on stage. Um and I just wanted to I always clarify that every time. But um I uh let's get back to your question. When when the guy in, what was okay, what was the catalyst? Go. Because you when, guys were on fire, man. That future album was crazy. What well, I felt like when my best friend got killed, I felt like it was my responsibility to do, to do something mm-hmm. and make a difference because I lost someone that was very close to me. But that was like the big homie right. who looked out for us, me and Timmy. You know Anthony B. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Red Parrot. Yeah, of course I know Anthony. And everywhere together. And when that happened, I said, you know what? I got to do something to show that I care. Mm-hmm. And I said, I got to leave. I have to leave Guy for a minute. And at that time, it was good for me, you know, because I got the call from Michael Jackson. Yeah. We're we going to talk about that yeah. in a minute. But let's but stay on this guy, yeah, Blackstreet. Then we're getting the mic. I, I was getting call, up the mic now. I got the call from Michael. After working with Michael, I worked back with Bobby Brown. Timmy, I mean, um, um, Chauncey was singing the demos for Bobby Brown. So when Chauncey was singing the demos for Bobby Brown. Well, how you find Chauncey? Chauncey was signed under Damian Hall. And Chauncey was trying out to sing backgrounds for Guy. And I said, nah, they can't, they can't sing. So that was the whole crazy transition of, like, he was down with, with, uh, with uh, Damien. And then they, remember when we moved to uh, Virginia? Uh-huh. We all moved to Virginia. Guy, okay. everybody. So uh, Damien had his label. He signed Chauncey. And they were down there. And then I, I guess Damien was like, yo, I'm dropping everybody. So everybody had to move back. And Timmy gave me a call. I mean, I mean, I'm saying Timmy. Uh, Chauncey gave me a call. And when Chauncey gave me a call, he said, yo, y'all got any work for me, man? I'll come clean the studio. I'll do whatever. You know, I just don't want to go back to Jersey. Right. So I said, yo, you come work at the studio. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be working with Michael. And you can come and, you know, clean up the studio and stay in the studio if you don't have a problem with that. He said, man, I'll sleep on your floor. It don't matter. So he stayed at the studio while I was a year and three months with Michael. Okay, now, since we done brought Michael up, let, I was saving that, but let's get to it. When in the hell did Michael Jackson call you? Do you remember one I remember one time I was in the studio with you and he you called were. you. It was, yes, sir. Uh, uh, Soundworks. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I, I had borrowed Q-Tip's room. Okay. Remember that little room? Yep. He had mm-hmm. a residency in the studio. I was like, man, I ain't never heard of no residency. <laughs> but he had a residency, and I asked him, you know, I had all the rooms booked, because remember, I was doing Jane Child in this room. Uh-huh. I was doing uh, Make You did you Don't Want to Fall in Love for Jane don't Child? Don't Want to Fall, yeah. Okay. Jane Child. Then I did Make You Sweat for okay. Sweat. And then I did Dog Me Out with the... Yeah. The remix. So I was right. doing a bunch of remix while I, I had that little room that Q-Tip let me uh, borrow to do Michael Jackson. So that's the transition of me leaving Guy because I said, man, I got this big Michael project. He's going to need all my attention. All of this is 
for the right, you know, cause. I got to leave the group because I'm doing that. That's the biggest thing that ever happened in my life was having working with Michael. Who called you? Um, Sandy Gallen. He just passed away a month ago. Oh, wow. Rest in peace, Michael's, Sandy Gallen. Michael's manager at the time. And um, Sandy called and remember I had Harvey Austin. Right. And, you know, that Wolfman Jack voice, he's like, uh, <laughs> who is this? And then he's like, oh, we're Michael's management, and we like to speak to Teddy. He's like, oh, you're speaking to me. And then they started talking. He's like, so you're going to put a, put Michael on the phone with Teddy? He said, yeah, we're going to put Michael on the phone with Teddy. Why don't you let us speak to Teddy? He said, no, let me hear Michael's voice. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, let me hear Michael's voice first, and then I'll... I'll give the phone to Teddy. So when Michael got on the phone, he said hello with that with his voice. Right. And Michael, my my manager, Harvey, turned into a girl. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) he gave me the phone and that, and that's when we started talking. Right. So this was actually two weeks before the last guy show at Madison Square Garden. You remember that? Yeah, okay, in New York City, and y'all. we had everybody there. Mike Tyson, everybody was there where I announced my leave. So I'm talking to Michael. Michael thinking I'm already in California when I spoke to him. Uh-huh. He said, are you here? Can we meet? And I said, no, I'm in New York. I have a concert in two weeks. He said, so um, can you come like the day after, like Saturday? I said, yeah, I can come. He said, okay, because I had said, you know, I need to make the music. I got to have records ready for you. Right. He said, okay, so from then on, he just stayed in touch with me until the week after he bought me a a brick phone. Uh He bought me the brick cell phone. He wanted me to have communication to him wherever I'm at. So I get this brick phone, and um, I can remember that same week I bought a Ferrari. Okay. That same week, and I said, you know, this was my mindset. I'm quitting this group. I'm going to, to live for myself. I'm going to just think about me and not think about everybody else. So I went and bought a Ferrari, and Michael bought me the phone. I had the phone in the car. And, <laughs> and the day I planned my leave of Guy, I told my sister and my brother, Wayne Barrow, uh-huh. to to prepare my room, prepare everything so that y'all take my stuff to the hotel. As soon as I announce my leave, I'm not going to the dressing room. I'm going straight to, to the car. Mm-hmm. So I announce everything, and I get in the car. I got the brick phone. Michael calls after my concert. When he called after the concert, he's like, how did it go? I said, man, it went wonderful, but I quit the group. He said, no. <laughs> Why? I said, because I have to come and work with you. And... I felt like I've lost my best friend. When I told him about that, he's like, oh, I understand. So are you still coming tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'm going to be on the first thing skipping. He's like, okay, great. I'm excited. So I'm on this plane, and I'm in first class. They got me in first class. First time I ever rode first class was when Michael Jackson Oh wow! bought my ticket. So I'm in first class, and soon getting off the plane, they take us straight to the helicopter, not even through... No baggage claim. No they nothing. grab our bags. It's first time I've ever seen some VIP stuff like this. Right. Because we go straight to the, get in a car, and we go straight to the um, helicopter. This is Michael's helicopter. All black, look like Air Force One. It says MJ on the side? No, it's no, 
you no, no, him, no logo. No logo. It's okay. all black. Mike got a helicopter. So he's we going up. My first time riding a helicopter was Michael Jackson sending for me. And I get to um I get to the Neverland and we land on his port, you know, and we seen all these securities, everything, you know, everybody coming out right everywhere. And I'm thinking they coming out of the ground. And, <laughs> um, cameras and everything is like this. And then the, the roads light up to show us where we got to go. Like the Wiz. Oh, my God. We have God. the yellow brick road. And we walking down that straight to the main house. Now, the main house is amazing. It has guest rooms and all that. So, so I spend the night. I'm in the room. Looking at the room, everything is all Moonwalker. Moonwalker soap, Moonwalker chocolate, Moonwalker toothbrush, Moonwalker bedspreads, everything. So I'm here bugging. Coming from the project. Yeah. I'm bugging. So I'm in this house and put my stuff down and I'm looking at everything. They show me this room with all his everything, gold records, plaques, Oscars, and everything. So I'm up there, like, touching everything. You know you know how we are. From yeah, York, absolutely. We touch stuff. So I'm touching it. I go straight to his chest set, and it's gold and platinum. And I go to touch it, not knowing that this dude is coming out of a, a secret wall with the fireplace that turned around like this, and touched my shoulder, and I fell to the ground. I fell to the ground. All he did was laugh. And I said, well, this is not a great way to meet somebody. Right. Wait a minute. You had already spent the night in his house before you met him? No, 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 no. Okay. I put my stuff down. Okay. All right. And then I go to the room to, you know, finally get to meet the Wiz. Right. And he just knocked me to my feet. You know, it's like, yo. So he's laughing. He's like, you know, helping me up and laughing. And we, we finally just... Started talking. He's like, follow me. I want to take you so we can talk. So we go to the game room. Uh Uh-huh. And he's got the game room, the movie theater, everything all in one building. Right. And um, we sat and talking there for for a minute. And he started asking me all the things that I, you know, like and what I like to do and what's my favorite color and all of this stuff. And not knowing that he's taking detail, letting his people know this is what he likes. This is what he liked to do. This is the color of his room. So he's building a studio, asking me all these questions. What type of equipment? What type of board I use? And I'm telling him everything that I like, and it's all being prepared at the studio. So I'm thinking, man, we here three days. When are we going to do some music? You know, so I started getting, like, asking questions. Are we going to get to the studio? He's like, yeah, we're going to get there. And he have the cook cooking and everything for us. And it was the most incredible time of my life because I'm here being educated to someone, you know, who's just, he has a heart for not just, you know, people. He has a heart for everything. So his mind is always thinking and putting things together in the background. Like, and it tripped me out when I walked into the studio. It was uh, Larrabee out in L.A. Uh-huh. And everything that I had talked to him about was there. My favorite color the bedroom, because I like to sleep in the studio. You know that. Yeah. So um, 
he had my bedroom set. He had his bedroom set down the hall. I'm down this hall. And he put a game room in there. He's, I told him I like to play pool. They put a brand new pool table. They took the old one out, and Michael bought a new one and put it in there. Um, you know, we like pinball. And right. He had all of that stuff in there. Um, he had the company that gives him all the games, deliver everything, and design everything. Wow. And what's the first record y'all did together? How do we, Well, how no, do, it well, didn't before, even start from a first record. We actually got we got to play the demos. I played all my demos that I worked on in Q-Tip's room. Right. And um, the first record I played was uh, Blood on the Dance Floor. Okay. The first track. We uh-huh. didn't have no, no songs. The first track was Blood on the Dance Floor. And then the second track was... Um, was um the second track was a uh, 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 joy, okay, that we wound up giving to Blackstreet. Okay, so wait a minute, we talking about you give me joy, yeah. joy. You that gave was, that to Michael Jackson? Yeah, that was a Michael track. Did he pass on it? He gave it to us because he didn't want to put it on that album. Just like he held uh, Blood on the Dance Floor and Ghosts, right. He put those on like '96. Right. He put those out then. Um, so he he kept a lot of my records, and uh, the ones that made the album was because he couldn't resist, like the records that you know he he had question marks about. Right. That's what he put to the side. Please tell the people the ones that were on that album from the first meeting. Um, I did some of um, Black and White. Mm-hmm. And then keep it in the closet. Remember the time. Jam. She drives me wild. Um, can't let her get away. And I think that's it. Wow, Teddy. How do you produce Michael Jackson? The same way you don't produce him the same way you produce everybody else. Hell no. He taught me how to produce him. Cause <laughs> I, I mean, after, I'd say, maybe six or seven days of working with him, he started getting a little frustrated because I wasn't telling him he's off key. I kept saying, yeah, okay, keep going. Right. <laughs> I never had you off key. Uh, you pick up the pitch or whatever. And he pulled me out of the room. I'm thinking I'm going to get fired. But I have to tell you the demo session. Okay, tell me the demo session. Then we'll go and back to Then we'll to go that. back to, you know, me, him telling me, you know, checking me about things. So first time I played, you know, Blood on the Dance Floor, Joy, and we got to another track, and he was just like, and he had this whole poker face, you know, listen to my demo face, and no response until um, I played uh, Can't Let Her Get Away. I played this beat, and he was just like, he couldn't hold it. He just, you know, he started, <laughs> like, just started doing it. And then the fifth record was Remember the Time. Right. The track. When I played that, he said, okay, stop the music. Can I see you in my office? So I go back, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get fired. Right. You know, like none of that. This don't sound right. You know, this don't feel right. So I'm going back, and he said, "Um, sit at the piano. I'm thinking he put me to a test. Uh So he said, can you play the chords to that track? Okay. So I'm making it look easy. So, you know, he think I'm 
crazy piano player. Right. So I'm playing this thing, and he goes, stop. What is that first chord? I said, I don't know. He said, it's okay. I don't read music either. But that first chord, I've never heard in any of my records, of all my records I've ever been on, I've never heard that chord before. So my heart just calmed down, and I just said, man, God, you are so good for giving me that chord to play. (laughs) (laughs) You are so good, like, for real. Who wrote the lyrics? um, Bernard Bell. Oh, Bernard, Bernard Bell, Bell is Regina and Bell's I brother, give ladies shout and gentlemen. Outs to my to my friend Bernard. You know, I haven't gotten a chance to make it. I want everybody to keep my my brother in prayer. You know, um, he's been a little enabled, you know, mm-hmm. f- for a little while now, but he's going through therapy and everything. Okay. And um, I just want everybody to keep him in prayer. Absolutely. But Bernard, this was later. This was like three months. We ain't actually, like Michael, for all his songs, he writes the melodies first. Okay. He don't call in the lyrics until later. He lives with the melody. And some of the words he'll put in, do you remember? And then everything else is mumbles. Young and innocent man. And everything else is mumbles. And that's how he always say to people, melody is king. Yes. And that's why you have some of the greatest writers out here. They follow that. They don't follow the lyrics until after the melody. And when we called Bernard to come and write the lyrics, he would have to follow the curves of the melody. Have to be followed. Right. Or Michael wouldn't like it. He'll change it and turn it into a mumble, back into a mumble, which is why you don't understand some of his lyrics, because some of it is really mumbles. It's like, and that's it. So um, we, we finally got Bernard down, and Bernard was following the curves, and I tell Bernard, don't take it to Michael until I hear it. <laughs> right. You know, I may be in there messing around with the music, but interrupt me because I don't want you to get shut down. Right. You know what I'm saying? So he did that. He came to me and I said, yo, that's going to work. You got to make it edgy. Go back. <laughs> go back. And he would just come up with something else. And I said, give me choices. So we gave Michael choices. He said, I like that. I like that. I don't think I would say that. And that's how we got it written. Oh, my God. And that you. was not the first song, though. No. The first track that we recorded that Michael wanted to, like, go full throttle with was Keep It In The Closet. Okay. Because after talking about at, when, I, when he brought me to the piano, I'm thinking it was a test, I played the chord, and then we got off of that. He said, okay, now that we heard what I feel like is going to be a part of the album, Let's write something new. Because he wanted, he wanted to see how we write together. Right. And his thing is, no, no drum machines, no key, you know, just a piano, him with some paper and a little dictaphone. That's how we wrote. So that was school for me. Right. But that's not how. Right, that ain't how you do. I, I ain't writing Mike no lyrics. Mike took me to school, bro. He took me to school. So we're here, and I'm like, 
how am I going to pull this beat off on a piano? So he said, I think you should do something like this. And he's doing it just like that, but, you know, his his yeah. snaps and everything is all impact. It's, like, hard. So I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in maze. Him just doing the beatbox and all of that right. stuff. So he... Uh, he did that, and I said, all right. And he said, keep that, keep that. Then he started doing it, which is why you hear his voice doing on the record, the actual record. Right. Because he liked what I did, and he wanted to make it in. Everything he likes to express with the voice. That's why he have all those lush backgrounds. Yeah. And all those things. And that's that was school for me. I was like college. Man, dog. That so, man took y'all, he took you to college, bro. Transition of him. Bobby Brown is in Virginia waiting for me with Whitney. <laughs> the whole Virginia thinking that Whitney looking for houses and they're gonna move to Virginia. Uh-huh. It was just partying. They went to look for look at houses. Right. And then waiting for me to get back. Because Bobby called me, he said, man, I need you back here. I'm not working with anybody else until I work with you. So I got back. When I got back, I ain't had nothing for him because Michael took all the records. <laughs> so I'm thinking in my head, how am I going to come up with songs for Bobby right now when I'm coming off this high? Right. So I wound up coming up with, um, at the same time, Q-Tip on my mind and Tribe Called Quest. So I made Getaway which was uh, 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 Sex on a Platter. Right. I started moving the thing, you know, moving the, the notes on that. that you're amazing, and came up man. with Getaway. Right. And then we started doing Two Could Play That Game, uh-huh. One More Night, and, and it just started coming up. And then I had Chauncey there, you know, because he had, you know, he was finished watching the studio. I was like, yo, no more watching the studio. We're going to teach you how to sing. We're going to get you in here to sing these demos. Okay. And that so you didn't my... really think too much of Chauncey as a singer at first? Back, no, I didn't. But until I started working with him, uh-huh. dude became, to me, the next babyface. Right. So, yeah, that's how. And where did you find the rest of the guys of, of Blackstreet? Oh, he had to find them. He found them. Yeah, and I found Dave. Where'd you find Dave Hollister? Dave was in California while I was working on Michael. And Dave came with his demo, and I kept, you know, putting them off until I, f- I told him, I said, yo, I'm, I'm definitely going to listen to your demo. Give me a CD. So I took a CD, and I went upstairs, and I didn't listen to it. So he caught me in the hallway. You know, he was at the bar. He's like, yo, Ted, did you listen? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, come here, man. I said, stay right here. I'm going to my room right now to listen to your whole demo. So my mind is still on Michael, you know. I'm Mm -hmm. still on this high. Like, so I'm going to listen to his demo. I'm listening to it. I was like, oh, this dude can sing. I went back downstairs, which is unlike a lot of people don't do that. They don't take the time. And that was the one thing that, you know, I did where, you know, I wanted to always see people have their dream because I had mine, mm-hmm. you know. So 
with him, I said, man, I ain't got nothing right now for you. But soon as I do, I'm going to call you. Same thing I did for Queen Pin. Um, when, when I didn't have Joseph Stone Street, who mm-hmm. was the guy, you know, we had to really get him out of the group because he wasn't for what we were for. He was much older. His mind was already set, you know, and he was doing, you know, that type of stuff. So there was a street with somebody else? That was uh, Joseph Stone Street. Okay. Yeah, that's how I named the group. I gave Chauncey the name Black because I didn't like the way Chauncey, you know, sound as an artist or right. stage name. So I said, you're going to be Black. And we're going to take the Stone Street, the Stone Off Street, and you're going to be Street. Black Street. Right. That's what it is. Right. You weren't, in the, you weren't supposed to be in the group. I wasn't supposed to be in the group. Okay. I was just, you know, because I, I still had, you know, guy in my heart. Okay. So I, um, I wound up just being in the group anyway because they just kept adding me. You know, like, <laughs> well, you sing this. And, you know, Chauncey kind of, you know, encouraged me because uh-huh. I heard, you know, uh, an interview with um, Aaron and he said, you know, I'm going to be doing my solo album. So that's what gave me the out to go and do Blackstreet. Okay. You know, he, he just said, I'm pursuing my solo album. You know, I'm going to do it like this and da da da. So when I heard that interview, I said, cool, so I can go and do Blackstreet. And mm-hmm. I wound up not signing a contract because I was the label. Right. So I wound up just being in, you know, doing appearances, you know. And um, it worked out where, you know, I was on the album cover and all of that stuff and to make the fourth member. And that's when we put Dave in there. And sure, we got, before I let you go, one take. Gee, that was one take? One take. And um, we got Joy and... Levi was the perfect voice for Joy. Yeah. And then um, Chauncey was just like one of the partners, and he sung his songs. Um, they wasn't the hits, but, you know, he was just a big part of the group. I love Love and Need a Love today. What you did with that was amazing. Yeah, man. That was something that we needed, too, because we were we wanted to do a gospel song, but they were like, man, I don't think we should go all the way spiritual because this is a secular album. Let's go inspirational. So that's what made us do. Uh, Stevie Me. Wonder's love in need of love yeah. today. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal, man. So that's how Black Street came about. You know, I made Chauncey. He said, "Man, we, you know, since this is sounding good, we wound up using a lot of the songs that Bobby didn't use, which was, you know, Happy Home, and you know, because we thought that was gonna be, be for Bobby." Man, so. you killing me in here, Teddy. So Happy Home was you gave that to Bob. That was supposed to have been for Bobby. I had songs for Bobby. Like, I wanted to take him back to, like, um, uh, as soon as I get home from work and that, you know. Right. I wanted him to have, like, that. Uh-huh. You know, because Bobby was that artist that he can do anything on stage and girls just go crazy and he know how to work a stage. So I was like, man, Happy Home would be perfect because he could do what Babyface did, with, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just, it was perfect for him, but... We didn't get that far. Mm. You know, it was hard, you know. Yeah. At the so, same on my time. prerogative, Bobby walked out of the studio on me because I wanted him to sing it that way. Same thing with Keith. He was he didn't want to sing my prerogative with, you know. Right. Seeing last. That was a that's his signature now. Right. You don't keep sweat when you hear him. Right. And and that was the thing that I was so proud to, you know, feel responsible for creating a style for the artists as I work with them, like Tony Thompson. 
Mm-hmm. You know, to me, he was that that young Donny Hathaway with kissing games. And, right. Look at look at my executive producer, Krista. You ain't know Teddy did kissing game, did you? Yeah, I know you didn't. Jam. That's a jam too. I know you didn't. So those those are the things that gave me the signature that I had as a producer because most producers, it's different today. You can't say a producer is a producer because they're beat maker. They haven't created right styles. They haven't created artists, you know, to sing, you know, and and build signatures. Like Aaron had a signature, but it was like Charlie Wilson, so we had to get him away from that. Right. And get him in his own lane. And that's why people call him Aaron the Voice. Right. Because he had something that was different from Charlie, different from Stevie, and Donnie Hathaway. And then R. Kelly so. came in right behind y'all. Yes, he sure did. And 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 saw everything that you did he and mimicked sure it. Did. And mimicked the entire <laughs> but thing. It it was you know what? I commend him on that. You know why? Because when someone is not fulfilling their responsibility to be that, somebody's got to do that. Right. And being that, you know, Aaron was caught over here when he could have been all over here, it was just like, you can't make a person do what they don't feel. They're stuck in that. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kelly did the right thing, and he came up and just... Yeah, and from there, and the from style, the style, and exactly your production but style and everything. I tell you how that happened, though. Okay, tell me. <laughs> you remember, Barry Hankerson was supposed to have been our, he was our manager. He was guy manager. Barry Hankerson, yeah. who gave us. When we left. R. Kelly yep. and Aaliyah. Yep. Was married to Gladys Knight. That's was right. your manager. Was our manager. He was managing us, and um, we had departed. When we departed, he was salty about that, and he. Yeah, R. Kelly, and that's why you hear the Teddy. I could be your Teddy Bear, and all right. that's. It was because Barry. Because Vibe was the the first R. Kelly was, was public guy. announcement. Vibe was nothing but guy. You yeah. got that vibe. When I first heard, it, I was like, "Oh shit, guy got another one." Yeah, but truth be told, you know where R. Kelly came from. Yes, you know who discovered R. Kelly? Who? Uh, David Hyatt. David Hyatt. Yes. David Hyatt, who was partners That's with like Peter Thomas, homie, yep. who gave us our first How Can I Be Down, How which was I my birthday yep. party in Miami. Yes, exactly. sir. Exactly. Yes. I was there. Yes, you know, sir. I got the... Uh, Tupac was there, too. I a lot the of us there. Yes, sir. But that's how R. Kelly, they got on... Um, what's that 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 show? They won $100,000. Star Search? Star Search. Right. And when they won that, that's what R. Kelly did, you know... The, the group, public announcement. Public announcement. And then I think he segued off because he was doing everything anyway. Yeah. He did all the backgrounds. Yeah. He did everything. Yes. So there was, uh, man, I give it to him, man. He's such a talented guy, man. And and um, he just reminds me so much of, like, you know, all in one. Marvin, uh, Marvin, Donny Hathaway. And and Prince, cause he, you know, he did everything. Yeah. How did how and, did you when you when you guys went on to do your second album with Black Street? How did you get Dr. Dre? Because Dr. Dre um, no wanted Diggity. to be in the video of No Diggity. He told Jimmy, you know, Jimmy wanted to release Money Can Buy Me Love as the first single. And when that happened, I said, Jimmy, you need to think about it. All in 24 hours, he got a confirmation. Heavy D called him and said. You know Teddy is breaking the rules. He said, how? 
he said, he's got that record. Did you hear it? The No Diggity record? He said, yeah, you like that record? Harry's like, yo, that record is a smash. That's one. And then um, I think it was Puff who went behind him. Same thing. He let Puff hit it. Right. And then he let Dr. Dre hear it. Dr. Dre is like, yo, when Teddy do the video for this song, I want to be in it. I said, nah, you can't be in the video if you don't give me 16 bars. I got to get 16 bars because we were trying to get Snoop for I Like the Way You Work, and Suge was like, I want 50,000. I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and we just passed on him. Then I was like, yo, we can't get that for artists. I was like, yo, just we'll just do it by ourselves. I'll get Queen Pen. I'll get a rap on I'm going to get a rap on this. Track. Right. And... uh what happened was um, I wound up uh, telling Jimmy, so what do you think is the single now? He said, yeah, we get Dre on this. Is this going to be the single? Now, here it is. All of this happened, I had a meeting with Suge. The meeting with Suge was about Death Row and, and Lil' Man becoming one. Oh, wow. And I was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't return the call, but he came to the penthouse to meet with me. And when he came to the penthouse to meet with me, he said, man, if you can't beat him, join him. I said, what do you mean by that? He's like, we should put this thing together, man. I'll get Jimmy to put $5 million in your bank account right now. I said, man, I could get Jimmy to do that, but I won't do that. That's just not me. I don't just take money. I, I work for it. Right. So... He said, man, think about it. He walked out with the cigar. Next thing you know, I heard the Toss It Up record. Sound like No Diggity. Right. Remember that uh -huh. record? When that record came out, I was like, Jimmy, what are we going to do about this? He said, don't worry about it. I got that. I got it covered. Don't worry. Teddy, go to sleep. You can sleep. <laughs> I said, okay. Next thing you know, that record got zip. And it was all No Diggity. Yes, sir across the board, across the world. And when Dr. Dre got on it, that's when it became you wow. know, the the record of my dreams because I'm singing on the record. Now, how I'm singing on the record? Yes, how are you singing on the I record? Was, you, know how, you know how a gang, you get the little one, you just stick him out there and see if he take, mm -hmm. he take the front line? The group didn't understand the record. I didn't say, I'm not saying, and, and it's been some statements I made that they didn't like it. They didn't understand it. And so they were like, you know, let him sing the second verse. Let him sing the first verse. I was like, okay, I'm going to sing the first verse. But when y'all hear this record and y'all don't take responsibility, you're just a part of it. Right. Will Stewart from Pure Blend. Remember mm -hmm. Pure Blend? wrote the lyrics. Oh, wow. To my melody. Remember? Uh-huh. I started doing what Michael from Jackson. Mike, right. I started doing what Michael was doing. And I've been doing it because I did the the actual melody for Before I Let You Go. Okay. And Leon Silvers wrote the lyrics. Remember Leon Silvers from The Silvers? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Ted. So when when I did No Diggity, I had words in the end, just like how Michael did it. Right. And Will Stewart made that record that those lyrics what they are. Yeah, he certainly did. 
you know, and you know, we all New York, New York bound. So it was like, it was like one big family having him back and Teddy Blinn and everybody is down there and we writing no diggity. Jesus. Big smash. Teddy yeah. Riley. I love you, man. I appreciate you, bro. Love you too, man. Oh my God. And the movie- oh, wait, you did you tell people our history? We go back to the Apollo <laughs> days when I was playing trumpet in a funk band. Yep. That's how far back Teddy and I go. Like seriously. Yeah. Before all early eighties. Early eighties, bro. Early eighties. Yep. Teddy Riley in the building with us, man. Come on, son, son. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is being brought to you by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. No, I'm only playing. <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> nah. Y'all keep going first. Everything else will fall into place. We'll talk at y'all next week, man. Y'all know what it is. Come on, son. This episode of Come On, Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Krista Hayes and Kimana Paulus in downtown Chicago. This is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.